0: Uh, we're still in Chapter Two, uh, in the letters written to the seven churches. Uh, one of the things to just keep in mind is that, uh, as a prophecy, Revelation is is, is calls itself a prophecy. Um, the purpose of prophecy, the message of the prophets, Old and Te- and New Testament. Is basically to call the church to remain faithful, or if they're not faithful, to repent and become faithful. That's, if you look through the Old Testament, um, you will see that, that that is the case, to call God's people to be faithful to Him, especially in the midst of persecutions and in the midst of trials and in the midst of a culture that can overwhelm you. So these are the letters to the seven churches. Uh, we are on the fourth one, which is addressed to the church at or to the angel of the church of Thyatira. Um, it is this is the longest of the letters to the churches. It runs from uh, verse 18 in chapter 2 to the end of the chapter verse 29 so the, these churches that that John is writing to represent all churches at all time so they are real letters to real churches that existed at that time dealing with things that they were really dealing with there are also things that the church has dealt with ever since Uh, And we'll continue to do so until the coming of Christ for his second coming. So, in other words, the things that the Church of Thyatira is facing are the same things that we face today. And and churches have faced all along. Um, And so they are, that's good to know. So, in a little bit background about Thyatira. It was a wealthy city. The people in that uh, town were pretty wealthy, pretty well off for the times. It was a large city. Um, it is in what was, or what is now Turkey, uh, where all the churches really are, all these seven churches, which was the center of Christianity uh, at the end of the first century when when John has his visions and is writing. So one of the things about Thyatira is it had a really, really, really well organized system of trade guilds. So so the trade guilds really controlled if you worked or not, if you could buy things or not, if you could sell things. Or not. The trade guilds were were a big deal, so uh, and so that means that they wield a lot of power. If they can control whether or not you work, they wield a lot of power. Um, and we will be facing that kind of thing in the future. Might, maybe not with trade guilds, but maybe with with businesses. Just think of—I think it was last year when a baseball player or two or three or four refused to wear the pride gear for their team. Their uniform was pride, and so those players wouldn't wear it, and so they couldn't play uh, while they weren't wearing it. And so just, just think about that and ramp that up. Um, that in the future, I mean, we should look for that kind of a thing to happen here. It is happening here. Um, not a long time ago, now, when I was on the uh, fire department in Sioux Falls, um, the fire department, uh, South Dakota is a right-to-work state, so you, you can work. Um, you don't have to be part of a union, but, but the firefighters' union in Sioux Falls is the strongest union in the state. Uh, it is, and when I was on the department, there was one person who was eligible, eligible to be a member who wasn't a member of the union. And that person wasn't a member, had been a member, but wasn't a member because the union was part of the AFL-CIO and required you to give part of your dues would go to candidates for office. And you had no choice in that. You couldn't opt out of it you couldn't decide which candidates you were going to support it was decided by the a acl no the afl cio on the national level and so the afl cio on the national level was giving money to candidates who supported abortion and and the person on the department said i won't do that i won't do that Uh, And so that person was kicked out of the union. Um, But in South Dakota, that's not a big deal because you can still work. It's a big deal. They can make your life miserable, but you can still work. There are states where that is not the case right now in the United States of America. You belong to the union or you can't work. But it's surprising, really, how, how, how little that happened uh, in a state like this where you didn't have to be part of a union to work. I mean, just to think about that, the pressure that you could put on with that. Well, that's what they face here. And in Thyatira, the trade unions were also forced people to uh, worship... The gods of that city. Uh, and so the gods of that city were the two sons of Zeus. The sons of Zeus, which is, as you know, in the in the Roman world, uh, Greek world, is is the is the head god. So today we're in the letter this letter to the church of Thyatira that lives in that setting. Um, and this church even though it's living in that setting has a lot of really really good things going for it Uh, but it had one thing uh, going for it that was not so good in fact you might you would call it bad in fact you might call it a fatal flaw at least to at least a potentially fatal flaw um, for some. So, that's where we are. Um, I'll start off by reading uh, Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 29, which is the rest of the chapter, and then we'll uh, break down our study. And to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, Thus says the Son of God, the one who has eyes as a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. I know your works and your love and your faith and your service and your endurance And that your latter works are greater than your first. But I have against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, the one who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and she leads astray my servants. "...into sexual immorality, and to eat food sacrificed to idols. And I have given her enough time to repent. And she was not willing to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I am about to throw her on a sickbed." And those who have committed adultery with her to great tribulation, unless they repent of her works. And her children I will kill with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am the one who examines the mind and the heart. Minds and hearts, and I will give to you, each one of you, according to your works. But I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not have or do not hold to this teaching, who have not known the deep things of Satan, as they say, I will not put on you any other burden. But what you have, hold on to until I come. And the one overcoming and keeping my works until the end, I will give to him authority over the nations. And he will shepherd them with a rod of iron And he will break to pieces the jars of clay. As also I have received from my Father, I will give to him the morning star. The one who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Okay, so that is the letter to the church at Thyatira. So let's, let's look first at the description giving of Jesus, which all of these letters have. So here's, here's what it says, verse 18, after the introduction. Thus says the Son of God, the one ha- who has his eyes as a flame of fire, and his feet like burnished bronze. So that first part, Son of God. So that is, you know, most of these descriptions come right out of uh, Revelation chapter one, John's vision when he sees the one, uh, when he sees the Son of Man, when he sees when he sees Jesus, the representation of Jesus. Um, in a vision on the Lord's day, so so here's what it here's what it says, um, and you and you'll hear. I'll read part of this. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were like white, were white like wool like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. There you go. And his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. And his voice was like the roar of many waters. So it says son of man there, but it doesn't say son of God. And and it is probably to make the point that the son of man is the son of God. So what you saw in Revelation 1, is the same one who is speaking to the church in Thyatira. Jesus Christ, Son of Man, Son of God. So, remember that the the local deities were two sons. Sons of Zeus. So, as Jesus speaks here, he is speaking as the one who will judge. This title, Son of Man, Son of God in this case, um, is no doubt um, taken from the Old Testament. Um, and we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But, but the local deities here, sons of the god Zeus, were the ones who people were supposed to worship in this time, in this time. And they, in that culture, had a powerful, powerful influence. But, compared to the Son of God, not. Um, So, there are a couple of references here that I put on your um, your notes. One is from Daniel uh, 3.25. So, Daniel 3.25 is is in the midst of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego getting thrown into the furnace. And when they get thrown into the furnace, remember um, they're fine, and people start to say, look, I see four men walking around in this fiery furnace that's, that's hot, that's heated to seven times more than... Then it's supposed to be heated. Um, a place where you might burnish bronze. And anyway, I see four men walking around I see Shadrach, I see Meshach, I see Abednego. And I see one like the Son of God or the Son of the Gods. Probably, almost certainly, that's part of this reference because Daniel is in view throughout Revelation. And is in view as well uh, right here. So, the title or or the the description that we saw earlier about having feet like, our eyes like a flame of fire and feet like burnished bronze. Actually comes from Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. um, Or 10 verse 6, other way around. So it comes from Daniel 10 Six. And in that passage, um, God is described as this way. And this is in the context of, I am about to judge the nations. I am about to judge the ones who are oppressing you. I am about to judge the ones who are oppressing the people of Israel. I am about to judge them. The one with eyes like flame of fire, and those who speak, or the one whose feet are burnished bronze. I am about to execute judgment. So, in the big picture, um, that means in the setting of Thyatira um, and other places that, that God is, Jesus is going to judge those nations as they try to pull, pull away. Christians and try to persecute Christians, Jesus is the judge that's going to do that. Um, in the context of this letter, Jesus is also about to execute another kind of judgment judgment on the woman Jezebel, who is leading her, his servants, and teaching them um, to commit a de- sexual immorality and to eat food, sacrifice to idols. So leading the people of God astray, and he is about to execute judgment um, on her. So the church in Thyatira has a lot of good things Going for it. It's actually the longest description, more most complete description of something that the things that are happening good in the churches. Um, the church in Thyatira, uh, here's what it says, verse 19 I know your works. So I know the things that you're doing. I know your love. And I know your faith. And I know your service. And I know your endurance. And I know that your latter works are greater than your first. So, if you contrast that with the uh, church at Ephesus, the letter says that they left their first love, but they need to return. Return to your first love. Not here. The later works, the latter works, are even better than the first. But again, that's that's what prophecy is. If you're faithful, call you to remain faithful. If If you're unfaithful, repent and return to faithfulness. And that's what this prophecy is doing as well. Return to following Christ faithfully. So, the letter right ahead of this is the letter to... Pergamum. And Pergamum has a really, really, really similar problem. Here's what it says uh, in verses 14 to 16. But I have against you, I have a little against you, that you have, you are holding to the teaching of Balaam, as he taught to Balak, to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, to eat food sacrificed to a- idols, and to commit sexual immorality. That's far enough to know. That's exactly. Those are exactly the things that in this passage in Thyatira that the prophetess or the one who calls herself a prophetess, Jezebel, is doing. Same thing. So what is different about this one? Well it's probably it, it probably matters why why that Jesus doesn't use the same description as in Pergamum as he does in Thyatira. Very specifically mentioned the woman Jezebel. That this is this is probably a woman who is leading them astray. A woman who calls herself a prophetess. So let's, let's look at that verse, the, the first of those verses, verse 20. But I have against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, the one who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and she leads astray my servants to sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. So both of those things, both of those things are symbolic for idol worship. Committing sexual immorality, often in the Old Testament, you will see it where where, where God lays out the case against Israel uh, for their idolatry, calling it adultery or calling it sexual immorality. So it's clearly symbolic for that. Uh, eating food sacrificed to the idols, to idols, same thing. Um, same thing that that. Um, it is symbolic of actually worshiping idols because they, they happened at feasts usually. And, and Israel would often get sucked into uh, going to the feasts for, the, for idol, of idols of the nations around them. And so that's what she's teaching um, the people to do. That doesn't exclude that this could be actual uh, sexual immorality because those things actually I mean they go together Many of the many of the gods that are worshipped um, in the ancient world um, had ceremonies ceremonies connected with them that involved um, temple prostitutes or cult prostitutes um, and so idol worship, and sexual immorality are closely tied together um, in the ancient ancient world. Sexual immorality could lead to idol worship. Idol worship could lead to sexual immorality. Um, they are closely tied together. Does that still is that still true? Is it still true that sexual immorality and worshiping things that aren't our God are tied together. Put it a different way Is it true that sexual immorality and violating the greatest commandment, you shall love the Lord your God with all heart, your heart, soul, mind, and strength, are linked together? They are linked together. Um, probably the most blatant example that we've had in recent times is, um, I have to look at my notes because I don't remember his name, Steve Smith, who is uh, transgender. Or oh, he's, he's non-binary. And um, Kim Petrus who is transgender, performed at the Grammys. Do you remember this? About a year ago, whenever the last Grammys were. So they performed at the Grammys. And they. this is the one where the guy dresses up in the devil suit and people are worshiping, etc., on stage. And before, and before, and, and a really raunchy thing, which I've not watched, I, I was warned not to. But but what happened there is that beforehand, Steve Smith tweets out that something special is going to happen tonight. And CBS tweeted back, we're ready to worship. Um, I'm not sure if you can find that tweet anymore. But, and then they went on to give this uh, devil worship uh, performance um, by those who are sexually perversed. Those things go together. So let's, let's take a look at who Jezebel was here because we don't really know anything about the person Jezebel that is referred to here. This is certainly a symbolic name. So, but I have against you that you tolerate the woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess. And she teaches and she leads astray my servants to sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to Idols. So what do we know about her? Not much more than that. Not anything more than that um, as an individual. But we do know the symbolic name and what that symbolic name um, implies. So let's turn to this passage in 1 Kings that, that is on your notes. 1 Kings chapter 16. Jezebel is one of the most commonly mentioned women in the old in the Bible. Um, and does anybody know? Does anybody know anybody named Jezebel? <laughs> Probably not. Uh, well, here's why. Um, 1 Kings, although I'm not, I'm not so sure it won't happen. 1 Kings 16, uh, 29 to 33. And in the 38th year of Asa, the king of Judah, Ahav, the son of Omri, began to reign in Israel. And Ahav, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel in Samaria 22 years. And Ahav, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord, more than all who were before him. And as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, Jeroboam's the one that made two golden calves. So, and as as if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, he took for his wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, the king of the Sidonians, and went in and served Baal and worshipped him. And he erected an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he built in Samaria. And Ahab made an Asherah. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. So that's Jezebel, the one who provokes um, Ahab um, to do worse than any of the other kings of Israel had done before. Uh, And so that's a pretty interesting symbolic name for somebody. So what do we know about her? Not much else than what we have just talked about, but she's described that way. So, we can understand why Jesus would be against Israel, right? I would hold, I, I would, he would hold something against, excuse me, Jezebel. Why he would hold something against her. But notice what this says. Jesus says this in verse 20. But I have against you, that's the church, that you tolerate the woman Jezebel. So it doesn't say, I have against you the church, that you teach. to lead my servants astray and to to sexual immorality and to um, eat food sacrificed to idol. No, that you allow this to happen. I have this against you, that you allow this to happen, that you allow, that you permit, that you tolerate this happening. And so that brings up the question, who is responsible for the teaching in the church? Not that church only, this church, every church. Who is responsible for what goes on in the church? And there are there are many ways you could answer that. The first is, of course, the teacher is responsible for what he or uh, what he teaches. So, in your notes, it says that teaching is described basically both ways in Scripture. As a, as a gift, it's a spiritual gift. Um, that's what it says in um, Romans chapter 12. Let's, let's just take a look, take a look at that. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. We'll start, I'll start one verse earlier. So we have, verse 5, So we, though many are one body in Christ and individually members of it, having gifts that differ according to the grace given us, let us use them. So we're supposed to use our gifts. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, and the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So, but notice we're supposed to exercise our gifts. But teaching is also an office in the church. With um, so in Ephesians chapter four, it's another list of things, similar a similar list, not exactly the same list, uh, but it says this four verses. Um, 11 and 12. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers, one one role there, shepherds, teachers, um, which is the same word as as pastors, teachers, shepherds and teachers, uh, which is the same as, as an elder as well, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So, um, the church is to, that God has given teachers to the church, okay? So, so, teaching, though, is a really, really serious responsibility. You probably all remember this, maybe not quite where um, it is, but this is in, in James chapter 3, verse 1. Now, many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. Well, that's pretty sobering. Um, we need to be really, really, really aware of that. And that's why, why Paul often talks to Timothy about watching what you teach. Pay close attention to your teaching. Pay really, really, really close attention to your teaching. So in 1 Timothy um, 4.14, it says this. Do not neglect the gift that you have which was given to you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things, immerse yourself in them, so that, not, so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. Persist in this, for by doing so, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So, a tremendous responsibility for the teacher, and the teacher is responsible for, for that, but the, the elders in the church are also responsible for the teaching. So late in Paul's journey, uh, as he is traveling back to uh, Jerusalem to stand trial, um, and he, he, he's, sailing, he's coming back and he meets the elders of the church of Ephesus, where he had spent a considerable amount of time uh, with them. And so he was close to these churches, um, these elders from Ephesus, and he even had them come out to meet him. Uh, Come out to meet him as he is journeying on his way. And so this is found in Acts chapter... This this meeting is found in Acts chapter 20. And it's really important. um, You know, we're about to... We're about to at our um, budget meeting this year in, no, uh, in November and, and today the nomination committee is meeting um, to uh, recommend elders uh, and deacons to the congregation um, based on input they have received from others. So in Acts it's a serious responsibility. This is one of the responsibilities of elders is this that we find in starting in verse 28 of chapter two, of Acts 20. Here's what it says. Paul speaking to the elders Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So elders, overseers, pastors, um, interchangeable terms. In which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And I know... That after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on alert, or be alert. Remember that for three years I did not cease, day or night, to admonish everyone with tears. Paul's giving that admonish everyone in tears is an example of some of the things that elders are supposed to do to guard the teaching of the church to make sure that the, the church stays on message with the gospel and the right understanding of the gospel and does not get drawn away the church does not get drawn away into false teaching So that's a responsibility of the elders of the church to make sure that they don't tolerate something like the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and who leads his servants, Christ's servants, away. So that is a responsibility of the elders. And let's remember to pray for them so that we don't ever fall into a situation where we tolerate false teaching. We don't ever want to do that. Next, the whole church is responsible. So that means you, that means me, that means the elders, that means everybody here. We are all responsible for the teaching of the church. This letter is addressed, verse 18, to the angel of the church in Thyatira. So to the angel of the church, the messenger of the church, the one who is the divine messenger to the church of Thyatira, to the whole church. Um, Paul also in in Galatians makes... um, he writes to Galatians, to the Galatian church, the whole church, and he doesn't say, and to the elders I say, I'm amazed that you are so quickly deserting the gospel. For a different gospel, which is no gospel at all. But he doesn't say, doesn't address that to just the elders. So this is a responsibility for each of us to make sure that our church remains completely faithful to the word of God and and not and not listening to false teachers. So it is a serious responsibility for all of us cuz what's at stake? Well, as it said in Timothy, by paying attention to your teaching, you will save yourself and those who hear you. So we need to make sure that we do that. So um, how serious is the, pro- the, the matter of or the problem of false teachers? We'll just turn to a couple of places. You could, we could go to many, many, many places about um, the dangers of false teaching. I often just say this to somebody. If it, if it weren't for false teaching... Um, we might not have some of the letters that are written in the New Testament because so many of them have as one of their main purposes to combat false teaching um, in the early church. And I'll just ask you, you, do you think there's any danger of that today? Do you think there's any danger of the church being compromised today? I'm not talking about just specifically our church, although we need to pay attention to that. But is there any danger that the church at large uh, is entertaining false teaching or tolerating, put it that way, tolerating false teaching uh, in the name of, as we know often, in the name of unity, which and, and well, if you're going to you know, get along in this world, you're going to have to you know, give up that one thing, just that one thing. Let's just, let's just compromise on that one thing. It's not really a big theological issue anyway. Let, let's, let's compromise on that one thing. Um, and so, there's a real danger of that today. So, how serious is the problem of false teachers? Let's turn to a couple of those passages. One's in 2 Peter Um which they, this is in your notes as well. Second Peter, Chapter Two, Verses One to Three. But false prophets also arose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you. So Peter makes it a foregone conclusion that this is is going to happen. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction, and many will follow their sensuality. And because of them... The way of truth will be blasphemed, and in their greed they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. In 2 Timothy 4. This is that part of that same passage um, that we... Looked at a little bit. That well, I guess it's the this is the second Timothy one. Never mind. Second Timothy four, uh, three and four. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. We're kind of there, uh, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion. Notice what's happening there. The church is accumulating teachers that that they want to listen to. Um, And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfilling your ministry. So, should we be concerned about false teaching today? We should, of course. Um, that's kind of that's kind of my point, right? We need to be concerned about false teaching. Um, and Jesus warns against this too. Jesus warns um, against specifically about false teaching, in the last days. So, uh, everybody since the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is in the last days. Um, so, these are the last days. I often get that question, do you think we're in the last days? Yes, we are. We are in the last days. Um, have been for a long time. Then if anyone says to you, this is, verse, this is Matthew 24 starting in verse 23, then if anyone says to you, "Look, here's the Christ, or there he is, Do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so to lead as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. And so that's what Jezebel is trying to do. See, I have told you beforehand, so be warned. Jesus says he's told us ahead of time that false teachers will come. So how is the church to combat false teaching? Well, first of all, certainly not by tolerance, not by permitting, not by allowing false teaching to, um, to happen. But then also just to really pay attention to the teaching that, that, that we have. And in uh, I'll just refer to Second John here real quickly. First, second, third John, Jude, and Revelation. Remember that, right towards the end. So right ahead of Revelation, not very far. Just a few pages. Second John. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is starting in verse six just as you heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is a deceiver, an antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ, does not have God. Whoever abides in his teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house, or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked deeds. So, pretty severe by John about what happens with People who are false teachers, far from being tolerant. So, Jesus is about to execute judgment on Jezebel and on those who follow her. So, verses 21 to 23. And I have given to her time to repent could say, enough time to repent. And she was not willing to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I am about to throw her on a sickbed. And those who have committed adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works and her children, I will kill with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am the one who examines the minds and the hearts. And I will give to each of you according to your works. So, this is... um, Pretty pretty startling, but it, it just makes the point. This is about this, this passage is about Jesus the Son of God with with eyes of flames that look like flames and feet like burnished bronze. That's about him being judged. This is the longest letter, remember. And and so this is treating this matter with much 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 severity and we and we can't miss that here that this is is a really 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 big deal so jesus also encourages uh, verses 24 to 28 those who remain faithful and who overcome so remember that the main message of the prophecy is to remain faithful either remain faithful or be or repent and become faithful. Um, And so, many of the believers, apparently, in Thyatira, whom he describes as the rest of you, um, are remaining faithful. They don't need more instruction. They certainly don't need instruction into deeper things. They need to hold on. He tells them to hold on to what you've received. Don't let go of the message of Christ. Don't go beyond the message of Christ, remain in his teaching. And if they overcome, if they do this, then they will receive the reward. So let's read that that section, verses 24 um, to 28. And to the rest of you, I say, to the rest of you in Thyatira, I say, as many as who do not hold to this teaching, um, who do not know the deep things of Satan, as they say, probably I, I agree with, um, with uh, Beal who, who says this deep things of Satan, probably they called, Jezebel probably called, whoever Jezebel was, the deep things of God. You need to get beyond the 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 things of uh, these little elementary things. You need to go to deeper things with God. But making the point that there's there's just that's not a thing, right? The thing he, we have His Word. Um, you know, Revelation is likely the last of the. Um, books in the new te- in the Bible written. And so God's word is out there. I will not put on you or lay on you any other burden. but what you have, hold on to until I come and the one overcoming, and the one who keeps my works, those are the same things, to the end, I will give to him authority over the nations. And he will shepherd them with a rod of iron or with an iron rod. And, the, and he will break into pieces the jars of clay As I have received from my Father, I will give to him, for as many as probably I have received from my Father, I will give to him the the morning star. So there's a quotation in there from, from Psalm 2. So let's turn to Psalm 2. Because certainly from beginning to end, John has Psalm two in his mind, and I'll just we'll we'll, we'll pick up we'll pick it up in the middle. Um, we'll we'll pick it up in verse seven. This is this is the psalm that says, "Why do the nations rage?" You probably remember the beginning of that psalm. This is that psalm. But, but God laughs at that. God laughs at the nations. And why is that? I'll, I'll pick it up a little bit ahead of... I'll pick it up in verse 6. I'll pick it up in verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. So this is the nations that, that want to rebel against God. Then he will speak to him in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And I will tell of the decree. The Lord said to me, You are my son. Thus says the Son of God. From Revelation, Thus says the Son of God. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of your the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. That's the one that's right out of Revelation. And you will dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. So that's verse 27. Now therefore, O kings, be wise and be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish in the way. For His wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in Him. So no doubt, as John writes this and quotes from, quotes from this, this, this psalm, he has the whole psalm in mind. Son of God. All of this in mind. So, Jesus encourages us to heed the message of the churches. So that's the, that's the last verse. And the one who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So, we didn't get through all of it in detail. We got through. We we went through the church of the letter Thyatites. Anybody have any questions about this letter that we didn't get to? <laughs> all right. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for um, your word to us today, and I pray that you would help us to be faithful at all times. To you, to your word, to your works, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.